Well, all right. Session four. Yes. Yes. I, I do uh, want to say that uh, since the morning session, I have been eaten alive by mosquitoes. I think I've gotten like four or five bites on my leg and one on my back. And so publicly, I want to repent of uh, making fun of BTS. I know how ferocious the army can be, and I certainly don't want to get canceled on social media, and so please stop praying plagues on my life, and let's all show each other gospel grace. Besides, and and, and I wanted to write this out so that it's clear, all of us are one in Christ. We share the same testimony. All of us once thought we were too cool for school. We were lost in our sin, dark and wild, in a spiritual slumber. What we needed was to wake up spiritually because we were enslaved to the lusts of our youth. God saved us by his grace and he continues to renew us day by day. We soar on his wings and he ensures us You'll never walk alone. The gospel caused you to truly face yourself when the world was telling you simply to love yourself. What we needed was a sort of map of the soul and to be brought to Christ, not living according to what we once were, but on what he has made us to be. And now we have proof because he's changed our lives. And man, when you have an introduction composed of all the BTS album titles in chronological order, that's butter. So yeah, I, uh, I heard that some people legitimately got angry <laughs> when I made fun of the army this morning, and so how fitting that in the next verse, the Apostle Paul addresses the theme of anger. And that's our passage this evening. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We introduced the outline this morning. We're looking at four ways that the Christian's clothes have changed. And we looked at the first two points this morning. And we're going to continue on this evening looking at point three. Four ways that the Christian's clothes have changed. We looked at the sins of the tongue this morning. That we are called to put off falsehood and put on truth. We've been called to put off rotten speech and put on edifying speech. And in verses 26 and 27, we're called to put off sinful anger and put on peace. Let me read the passage. We'll pray, uh, and then we'll get into this, all, all joking aside. Starting in verse 25, this is what it says. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he'll have something to share with one who has need." 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the sufficiency of your word to address the issues of life. And Father, while much of this retreat has been so enjoyable and lighthearted, we come to a heavy topic this evening, and we ask that you would give us grace. Father, help us to know your peace. Father, help us, Lord, to understand the seriousness of the sin of anger and to walk in your ways, Lord, and let this be of great help to us as we consider your word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was uh, Pastor Scott Artavanis that uh, we we were talking one time, and he said, you know what, Patrick, I don't know if I know any pastors that do more weddings than you. Uh, (laughs) Because I I have this tradition now, I guess, uh, at our Lighthouse weddings that uh, just right around the time of the kiss and the ceremony, I take a selfie and we put it on on Instagram and and so he's been following along and tracking along. And I, I recently counted uh, in the year since 2010, I think I've done something like 52 weddings. And uh, I had a, a friend who's uh, at a church with 200 members. And uh, I think 180 of them or something like that, it's insane, are 70 and older. Yeah. And, uh, and so he kind of told me that like, he's doing funerals like I'm doing weddings. And he recently did a wedding, and he was overjoyed. It was an 80-year-old man marrying a 70-year-old woman. And he didn't know if the next week he would have to do the funeral too. <laughs> so it's just been, it's been insane. But with all those weddings comes a whole lot of premarital counseling. And like any pastor, you kind of grow through the process, you learn... Uh, you know, when Christine and I were engaged, we had a lot of couples kind of talking to us and sharing advice with us. And unfortunately, almost every couple we talked to only told us all the hard things about marriage. You know, that it's just so hard. It's so hard. You have to be so patient because it's so hard, you know. And I remember talking to John Kim and I'm like, if marriage is this bad, like I should just stay single, you know. And so I told John, when we get married, we're only going to tell people all the good stuff. It's amazing. And that's kind of how premarital counseling started with me. And I would just tell him, look, this is going to be the best first year of your life. And everything's going to be amazing. And you don't have to take her home at the, at the end of the day. And like, it's wonderful. And, and then I realized that there were couples that refused to come back to us for counseling because they thought that our expectation for them was that their first year of marriage had to be Peaches and roses and sunshine and rainbows. And they were having a really, really hard time. And they wouldn't talk to us. And so I had to kind of change my tune (laughs) and help them to realize, well, it should be, (laughs) right? The greatest first year of your life. But understand that if you are having a hard time at this, because if we've counseled people now who've had some really, really hard circumstances, I'll never forget the couple that sat on our couch. Uh, this was about, I don't know, maybe six to eight months into their marriage. 
And I was shocked. The guy looked at me and said, Patrick, the greatest mistake I ever made in my life was marrying her. And she didn't flinch. She nodded in agreement. I absolutely agree. Greatest mistake in my entire life was marrying him. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, help. Right? Praise God, they're doing great now. They're doing great now by the grace of God. But I understand that sometimes it's just hard. And I've learned over the years that there are two particular sins, and maybe for Nim or Gary or the other guys here, uh, there are more, but there are two that just kind of rear their heads over and over again that uh, uh, you know, people ask, would, he, would you ever refuse to do a wedding? Would you ever say no to a couple? And, and I tell them, well, yeah, theoretically, of course, right? And somewhere along the line in premarital counseling, I'll tell them, one, obviously, if there is unrepentant sexual sin in your life, uh, then let's talk about that, right? Because you don't want to bring that into your, into your marriage. But secondly, if there's unbridled anger, and I'm not talking about, you know, you're just kind of cranky in the morning because you didn't have your coffee. I'm talking about just outright rage, then let me just tell you right now, I'm not going to do your wedding until we address it. Until I'm confident that you have a handle on this. Because I've had enough phone calls in the middle of the night with the gal screaming, locking herself in the bathroom, asking for help. I've had enough counseling cases where I've had to ask women to keep their car keys in their pocket so that they could escape if they need to. We've offered enough safety homes for people that need to get away from their marriages and their abusive spouses, and I'm just, I'm tired of it. And so we always tell our couples, and this is good counsel for you, I think. If it ever gets to a point in your marriage where, again, it's not just crankiness because you didn't have your coffee, it's not, you know, that time of month, right? But if it ever gets to the point where it escalates to insults, if it ever gets to a point where it, it escalates to violence, and I'm not necessarily talking about striking each other. I'm talking about throwing a phone across the room, punching a hole in a wall, you know, throwing a pillow. We had a couple where the guy, when the wife was sleeping, would take a glass of water and just spray it in her face. If it ever gets to that point, can I just tell you, the first time it happens, you need help. Does that make sense? It will be so much easier for your pastors to address what's going on in your marriage if it's the first time than if it's been like five or ten years of this in your marriage. Does that make sense? The first time you're hurling insults at each other, you know, your problem is that you're so stupid. You know, I wish you would be dead so that I could be free of you. The first time it escalates to that, first time you're throwing a phone across the room, breaking a vase, throwing a plate, punching a hole in the wall. Because when you punch a hole in the wall, what you are communicating to your spouse is your face is next. The first time it happens, you need help. And so please remember this talk. The first time it happens. and just Pastor Patrick said we need help. Let's call someone and let's get help. Because you need help. That's how serious an issue this is. And that's why it's astounding to me that the Apostle Paul communicates it the way that he does, because he doesn't say, stop being angry. He actually says, 
What? Be angry. So let's talk about this. It is telling how much the Bible speaks about anger. And there are obviously instructions and commands confronting anger. There are all sorts of passages we could turn to in the the Old Testament, New, New Testament. But maybe my, I don't know, is, can you say favorite passage on anger, uh, is Daniel 3. Do you remember that? Daniel chapter 3 is Rakshak and Benny, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, together with Nebuchadnezzar, and he creates this giant statue, and everyone needs to bow down to it, right? And Nebuchadnezzar says that uh, if anyone fails to bow down to this statue, then they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3, verse 6. And in verse 13, he finds out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to his golden image. And so he, it says that he's filled with rage and anger. Now, there's a certain extent that I kind of understand this. It's one of the fun studies in the book of Daniel to contrast the tactfulness of the politician Daniel. I mean, when Daniel talks to Nebuchadnezzar, you almost get the sense that Nebuchadnezzar is kind of a good guy. Because Daniel speaks with such respect and reverence for Nebuchadnezzar. Rakshak and Benny didn't get the memo, right? Daniel will be like, oh, you know, you are so great, oh king. And then Rakshak and Benny are like, you know, you can throw us in the furnace if you want, oh king, right? And they're just really direct with him. And so his anger just intensifies. And the passage actually says in verse 19 that he was filled with wrath to such an extent that his face contorted. Man, I really hope there's a video archive one day when we get to heaven. Because I would love to know how badly your face contorts for that to be recorded in Scripture. Usually and most often our anger is sinful and destructive because anger has at its heart a selfish desire. That's really at the core of what's going on. You are upset because you're not getting what you want. Essentially, that's what it boils down to. If you're involved in counseling or small groups or whatever, if you're discipling people and you're dealing with anger issues, generally speaking, this is what you can boil it down to. That person is upset because they're not getting what they want. They're not getting what they think they're entitled to. They're not getting what they think that they deserve. And there are all sorts of ways that we express our anger. In abusive relationships, anger can be used and often is used for control. To control the other person, to control their situation. Right? Again, I'm going to get into your kitchen because the Apostle Paul is getting into our kitchen a, a little bit. This is parents lashing out at their children to get them to behave. Right, Seeking to control a situation instead of showing patience, instead of showing a godly attitude. Right, It's parents lashing out at their children uh, in order to get them to behave. You know, a, a good indicator is kind of like the litmus test for me to know when my anger is out of control with my kids. If you can't make a beeline to the gospel, you did something wrong. Right? It's really hard to go from, you kids are just a pain in the neck, but Jesus died for your sins. <laughs> right? 
It's a great litmus test. If you can't make a beeline to the gospel, then maybe this is an area in your life that you need to address. Anger can also be used to punish others for the way that they treated you. This could be two high schoolers that get into a fist fight because one insulted the other in class. Or it could be, you know, that uh, because of a hurt suffered, your spouse embarrasses you at a dinner party by sharing private information with others. And oftentimes anger can be used to get back at someone, to punish them. Anger can be an expression of jealousy or envy. That might be what's going on in the heart, right? Refusing to talk to a coworker because they got the promotion that you think you deserve. Anger can be an expression of fear. Someone who's been hurt pushes people away to prevent being hurt again. Right? Someone who's been abused as a, as a child who refuses to get into close relationships anymore and will even use anger to distance themselves with others so that they're not vulnerable ever again. And, get this, even in response to wickedness and sin, our expressions of anger can be sinful. In other words, just because you are right about an issue doesn't mean that the, you know, th- that doesn't mean that you can justify your anger about it. Our response to sin is not always righteous. Your anger may still be sinful and self-centered. And this is why it's oftentimes such a dangerous emotion. Anger is not always expressed violently. And so you can't say that you don't generally struggle with anger because you're not constantly blowing up at people, that you're not constantly just blowing your top. Anger is a hard issue before it's a behavior issue. right? It's something that's going on inside. And there are many of us, uh, a lot of times myself included, who are really good at just kind of letting it simmer on the back burner. We did an exercise during premarital counseling to talk about emotions and nonverbal communication. It's a fun exercise. And usually when I tell the couples to kind of go through this, I say, the first time you go through it, I want you to do it in an exaggerated way. So what do you look like when you're happy? Right? <laughs> what do you look like when you're sad? Right? <laughs> what do you look like when you're angry? Right? And then I said, the next time you go through it, Take a second to think about what you honestly look like when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're angry. I told Christine, this is what I look like when I'm happy. And this is what I look like when I'm sad. And this is what I look like when I'm anxious. And this is what I look like when I'm angry. You know, there are very few people in the church that can kind of pinpoint if something's going on in my life because... This is the face that I just always put on. I had a friend tell me he saw me at an intersection driving by myself, and I was at the steering wheel like this. (laughs) He's like, who smiles when they drive? What's wrong with you? But there are quiet expressions of anger. And you know this. Rejection. Rejection can be an expression of anger. Grumbling and complaining can be an expression of anger. Judgmentalism can be an expression of anger, resentment or bitterness. Even self-pity can be an expression of anger. Think about Jonah 
who cried out to God, just kill me, I just want to die. Because he was so angry about his circumstances, he'd rather take his own life than have to deal with it. Passive aggressivism, sarcasm, veiled mockery, pointed silence can all be expressions of anger. And this is, again, why it's such a dangerous sin, because it doesn't just have one look about it. And our anger is oftentimes very easy to try and justify. We say things like, if if they hadn't done what they did, then I certainly wouldn't respond the way that I would. Or the one guy that I counseled dealing with significant anger issues. You don't understand. I am perfectly pleasant with everyone else. It's just that person that drives me insane. Anger sometimes can be a motivator to get you to work harder. I mean, think about bulletin board material for professional athletes. I'll show them to think so little of me, is the mentality. Or even the degrees of sin argument. Yes, I'm angry, but it certainly doesn't compare to what they've done. And so it's destructive. Anger destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. It crushes children. It ends friendships. It ruins reputations and credibility. It endangers yourself. I had a coworker that we used to work in a warehouse together with who really had issues with road rage. And one time I was a passenger in his car and I said, never again. There was a guy who, I mean, it would be, it would be kind of bending the truth to say that he was cut off. There, I mean, there was at least a couple car lengths in front of us and this guy came out in front of us my friend decides to speed up. We're going on the freeway about 80 miles an hour. He gets in front of the car in front of us and slams on his brakes, and we go down to 15. And I'm a passenger in the car. And so when I say your anger can endanger yourself and others, I, I mean it. When Saul was angry, he almost drove a spear through his own son. Our anger can cause us to be absolutely illogical. And so generally speaking, I know I'm not saying anything that's mind-blowingly new, but generally speaking, anger is wickedness. And yes, scripturally, I understand that anger is an emotion and can be understood as neutral, that there obviously is sinful anger, but we also see expressions of righteous anger, yes? Right? And so as an emotion, you can make the argument that anger in and of itself could be treated as neutral. But make no mistake, you are not neutral. Your heart is not neutral. Seeing righteous expressions of anger by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does not justify your anger in your heart. You're not Jesus. Certainly we strive to be like him, and I'm not saying that there are no expressions of righteous anger at all, but that is not our default mechanism, right? We have a bent towards sin and destruction. It's by grace that we respond to people and circumstances in a right way. We are not neutral. 
Our hearts have a natural inclination towards sin. And spiritually, anger can be so destructive because it puts you in the seat of God. David Paulison referred to James 4, verse 12, to really expose the heart of anger. I thought that was interesting. Because James 4, verse 12 says this, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? I thought it was interesting because James 4 doesn't say anything about anger. But isn't it true that when we lash out in anger, we are basically assuming the role of judge and executioner, right? To treat this other person as the guilty one. In your anger, you are acting as the lawgiver and the judge. And so in our anger, we sometimes justify even being angry with God. And the Bible gives warning after warning after warning about the sin of anger. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that the one who is guilty of of anger, the one who's angry with his brother, is guilty of sin. Anger, at the heart of it, is the attitude that says, I am going to kill you for what you did to me. James, in James chapter 1, says that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And even in this context, in Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 31, where it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, a different word for anger, but still the, the concept is there, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Even in this context, the Apostle Paul warns the Ephesians to put off anger. And that's why our verse is somewhat unexpected. Not only because in the imperative, the Apostle Paul says, be angry, but also because he seems to break the pattern. Don't do this. Do this. And let me tell you why. Or does he? Or does he? I'm just going to throw this out because this is not necessarily an easy verse. And I am a firm believer in the autonomy of the local church. Okay, What do I mean by that? If your pastors teach this differently, they're right and I'm wrong. But let's dive in. Because when you look at verse 26, and it says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Yes? Do you notice that be angry and yet do not sin is in all caps? That's a clue. Why does the Apostle Paul tell us to be angry? And it might be, as so many teach, that the Bible instructs us that it is possible to have a righteous expression of anger. I think about David at the end of Psalm 139, which is a glorious psalm about how great our God is in his knowledge and wisdom and understanding, that he is omniscient and he is omnipresent. Where can I go from your presence, O Lord, right? If I go to the highest heaven or the lowest hell, if I go take the wings of the dawn, which is east, or go to the farthest part of the sea, to a Jew that's the Mediterranean, west, right? You're still there. 
Your hand is before me and behind me and on top of me. The psalmist is essentially saying, I'm trapped. Where can I possibly go away from you? And at the end of Psalm 139, listen to David's words. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And so, even aside from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it seems as though as believers, we can express a righteous anger. I mean, Jesus himself, the sinless one. Like Even if you wanted to make the argument that David was speaking sinfully, you certainly couldn't make that argument about Jesus. And in Mark chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand. And he's speaking to the Pharisees, who's looking to see what he's going to do. And he says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? And they kept silent. And so it says in verse 5, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. In Mark chapter 10, when the disciples prevented children to come to Jesus, it says that Jesus saw this and was indignant. Twice in Jesus' ministry, in a righteous expression of anger, he cleansed the temple, flipped the tables, and drove the money changers out. And so, yes, righteous anger can occur when a believer becomes angry because of what is said or done against God and His Word. When it's an, aff- an affront to God. I remember there was a, a, a youth pastor that I used to listen to, Dewey Bertolini. He was a youth pastor at Grace Community Church, and my parents bought me like every cassette. Remember a cassette? It's like a too windy thing with a tape, right? He, they got me every cassette of his sermons, and so I would listen to his sermons. In a lot of ways, even though I'd never met the guy, he was my youth pastor, right? And he was talking about a story one time how he took his kid to a baseball game, and behind him there was a guy, like almost every play, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And after an inning or two of this, he just got fed up. And he turned around and he said, Sir, my name is Dewey. You can use my name as often as you want. You can curse my name, but please don't curse the name of my Lord and Savior. You know, There can be righteous expressions of anger when what is done or said against God and His Word is something that you get angry at. And it doesn't mean that you can't get angry at circumstances or injustices, but is that anger fueled by a jealousy for God's glory and His holiness? Or is it simply that your standard of right has been violated? Or are you upset that God's standard has been violated? Remember that in God's own self-description of Himself, He said, I am slow to what? Anger. And so the complete idea in this verse is be angry and yet do not sin. And I believe that those two imperatives should be understood together. I don't think that Paul is encouraging the church to be angry more and more. 
I don't think what the Apostle Paul is saying is, hey guys, you're not angry enough. You ought to express more anger, right? Especially given the sequence that we see here of don't do this, do this, and let me tell you why. And again, the whole thing is in caps, which means he's quoting something from the Old Testament. And here he's quoting Psalm 4. If you want to flip back there, we'll see it. Psalm chapter, well, I don't think you refer to Psalms as chapters, but Psalm 4, the fourth Psalm, is what he is quoting. And we're looking at verse 4 in particular, but we'll take a look at the whole thing. For the choir director on stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And then here it is. Interestingly, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Again, this is not necessarily easy because the psalmist uses a different word. Tremble and don't sin. And it's interesting because this idea of trembling in other contexts is a trembling of awe to fear God, to stand before his greatness and tremble before him. But I believe that the Apostle Paul is providing a commentary to Psalm 4. That when the psalmist is saying tremble and don't sin, it's not necessarily a tremble of reverence, but a trembling of anger. And that's why Paul quotes it. Be angry and don't sin. Notice in verse 1, David calls out to the Lord. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Answer me. And then in verses 2 through 5, He shifts audiences and now testifies to men. And in particular, he's speaking to his enemies. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. And then in verses 6 through 8, then David confesses his faith. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Yahweh. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me to dwell in safety. So between his calling out to the Lord in verse 1 and his calling out to the Lord in verses 6 through 8 is sandwiched this speech that he gives to his enemies. How long will, you know, my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless 
and aim at deception. And it seems as though in Psalm 4, what he is communicating to them is repent. And in verse 4, when he says tremble and don't sin, I believe that that trembling is a trembling of anger. That David essentially is telling his enemies, look, I get that you're angry. That the word there is referring to the anger in their hearts. But with that anger, don't sin. Instead, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. And so when you take that understanding and bring it back to Ephesians chapter 4, and you understand that those ideas of be angry and don't sin seem to come together, it doesn't seem as though the Apostle Paul is abandoning his pattern at all. He's still saying, don't do this, do this, and let me tell you why. What are you not to do? In your anger, don't sin. In your anger, don't sin. And instead, do this. Pursue peace. In your anger, don't sin, and instead, pursue peace. The Apostle Paul instructs the Ephesians not to let the sun go down in their anger. And I know this verse is widely used in counseling. Again, with married, I feel like I'm doing premarital with you, right? And there are couples, and I, I respect this. I'm not knocking this at all, right? There are couples who get into arguments, and they, they, they stay up to the wee hours of the night. We are going to settle this. Why? Because the Bible tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger. And I look at them and I said, it's already down. (laughs) You can get rest. In fact, it might be more detrimental to this conversation that you're both really exhausted. Get some rest and pick it up in the morning. The principle here is that when there is anger, resolve it quickly. Resolve it quickly. Because prolonged anger is an opportunity for Satan. Our anger opens the door for Satan to have influence over us. Over how we feel. Over how we think. Over how we speak. And over how we act. I mean, think about what prolonged anger can become. Prolonged anger can become bitterness and resentment. I I appreciate what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. When anger is left unchecked, it can oftentimes result in bitterness. I don't know how many times I deal with it in counseling where someone is so angry that they start viewing everything the other person does through the lens of that anger. It's like the other person can't do anything right. If they say hi, it's like you said hi the wrong way. How come you didn't say hello? How come you didn't follow it up with how are you doing? You obviously don't care. Like, you can't do anything right. You'll get them flowers. I don't like those flowers. You don't even know what flowers I like. I mean, it's like, it's so messed up. 
prolonged anger oftentimes evolves into self-righteousness and pride. Oftentimes, you're angry because you're not getting what you want. And you're treating them like you're the judge, that you're the lawgiver. They're not meeting up to your standard. And it's obviously because you are better than they. Our anger oftentimes results in self-righteousness and pride. And obviously, anger can so often evolve into sinful hate. Think about all the things that anger is the opposite of. If we did a word association game and I asked you to give me the opposite of anger, what are some of the things that you might think of? You can talk, it's okay. Joy? What? Jealousy? What, who said jealousy? It's like, I don't think you get the word association game. Maybe I, I probably heard you wrong. Kindness I heard? Peace? Faith? Patience. Okay, that sounds like faith. (laughs) Patience. I mean, think about this. The opposite of anger, you know, you're all right, except for the jealousy person, and I probably heard you wrong. Love. Love is the opposite of anger. Patience and forbearance, right? Being slow to anger, as our God is slow to anger. Patience and forbearance. Humility is the opposite of anger. Forgiveness and reconciliation is the opposite of anger. But in our passage in particular, it is peace. Meditate on your bed and be still. Choose to trust God with your life and your circumstances. Let your faith govern your emotions. That's the opposite of anger. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Again, there's a relationship between Ephesians and and Colossians. But in Colossians chapter 3, it's so helpful for us. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. An abusive speech from your mouth. You see that? These are the things that we ought to put off. These are the things that we ought to remove from our lives. Remove from yourself. Disrobe yourself of anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. And then flip forward to verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, what are we to put on? And I don't want to spoil the ending, but I'm just going to tell you, anger doesn't make the list. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And we get the instructions right here in God's word. And we we see the warnings and we see how destructive our anger can be and the call to repentance. 
that if this is a particular area in your life that you struggle with, and I'm telling you, maybe no one else knows, can I invite you to get help? To talk to the leaders of this church and to let them know what's going on because you need help. Don't let it become five years, 10 years, 15 years of a pattern. I'm so tired of counseling loveless marriages. But understand also that if this is a particular area in your life that you struggle with, and it, just making sure it's clear, children struggle with anger too, right? Single people still struggle with anger too. And if this is a particular area in your life that you struggle with, can I give you hope? You don't have to. That there is forgiveness with God, that there is restoration with God, that you could be whole in your relationships with God. That the word of God is sufficient to walk us through that and to bring us to repentance and to restore relationships and to save marriages and to restore friendships. I'm sorry if I'm getting into your kitchen a little bit. To improve your parenting. To improve your childing. Right? There is hope with God. There's grace with God. It is for these sins that our Lord and Savior went to the cross. And he died there for us. And forgave us. And promised us new life. We don't have to keep wearing the tattered, death-stenched clothes of the old man. In Christ, these things have been stripped off and we are made new. So if it's a struggle, can I give you hope? Man, I, I rejoice. I rejoice that that couple that had absolutely no hope in their marriage is doing great now. It's doing great. Praise God that with Christ, there is hope and restoration. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this time. Lord, this one's hard. Because in our own ways, all of us, Lord, I'm sure, struggle to one degree or another with the sin of anger. Young and old, believing or unbelieving, Father, this is a sin that so easily trips us up and we so often stumble. And so I pray for Emmanuel Bible Church that you would be gracious to this church family. That they would remember first that they are family. That they would be committed to one another in love. And that they would support each other. And Father, if there's anyone here who struggles with the sin of anger in a very serious way, that you would remind them that there's nothing that they struggle with that is not common to man. But you are faithful. And with the temptations, you provide a way of escape also. That we could bear. That we could stand up under the pressure. 
Lord, thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Let us run to that refuge again and again and never grow weary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.